On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a lovely day. Hope everyone's staying warm. The winter is now officially upon us in terms of the cold, especially in a lot of areas across the states, up in Canada. I know we got hit with a winter storm here over the weekend, and now we're in the teens. The wind chill is like minus 10, so it's pretty cold. So, We'd like to welcome our latest guest, hailing from the northwest part of Canada, near Vancouver, Mr. Doug Smith. How are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Sitting here out on our, our little island off the off the west coast of Canada. Yes, yes. We uh, we, we yeah. yeah. I mean we originally thought that we were three hours apart, but we were two, but now we're recording, so all's good. Yeah, yeah, all is right with the world. As you know, yeah. you know, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of the podcast, which is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, band, or performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, man. Um... I got to go like way, way, way back. I'm the youngest of five. And, uh, so my, my, my older sister, uh, they were, they were, well, the, the two elder, like I'm, I've got, uh, three older sisters and an older brother. And, uh, so they were huge Beatles fans. And, uh, to the point of when the Beatles played in Vancouver, they, my, my two older sisters took, my sister was just immediately older than me, um, out to the airport. And, uh, while they were practicing fainting in preparation for the, uh, the limousines to go driving by, um, one of the limousines did actually drive by <laughs> while they were practicing fainting and, uh, the window rolled down and, and Ringo said hello to my sister, Nancy, and then they went up the window and drove off and they missed the whole damn thing. <laughs> but, um, to answer your question, uh, it sort of goes back to, I think probably, oh man, um, my sister Susan was kind enough to, to, uh, to allow me access to her, um, Beatles 45. These were, you know, original pressings, right? She bought them as they came out. And, um, I was, I was, I got kind of addicted to, to paperback writer. And I'm like, that, this is really good. And it was like, oh, there's this B-side thing and I flipped it over and the B-side on that because the Beatles didn't make that record was Rain. And Rain was like, you know, and I'm a kid. I'm super young. I was probably single digit age, but all of a sudden I put Rain on and the first time I heard Rain, it was like the first time seeing color. And because it was just, I mean, I, I had just graduated from like Burl Ives children's records. And all of a sudden I'm listening to this and it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's a whole new world out here. And, and it, it was that little, I mean, they, they made, they were basically, they didn't have an A and B side, but it was, they were all double, double sided, uh, double A side singles. But yeah, probably the first time I heard, heard the Beatles ring. And, and then in terms of going, okay, yes, rock and roll is a good thing. I, I have to explore this more. What turned me into a guitar player, though, was year maybe ten years later, um, as was my 
my thing when I was a kid, I, I'm a um, pretty uh, for a guy who's in music and who's you know been playing on stage for as many years as I have. I'm I'm really really a big introvert, so I was hiding down the hall <laughs> um, in the TV room, and they broadcast the, uh, the 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 Woodstock film, and and uh, good old KVOS coming out of Bellingham down south um, would. That they would they would always put on. I mean, even I, was, I saw Tommy on there, and uh, but on this particular evening, it was uh, the Woodstock film, and and watched it, and it was it was pretty cool. A bunch of muddy hippies, and then Jimi Hendrix comes out and plays the Star Spangled Banner. Again, it was another one of those moments. I have to pick up a guitar, and and I sent you that picture of me sitting there <laughs> on the floor of my old apartment with my white fat sitting beside me. That's why I had that guitar because of that moment. <laughs> so I mean these are two big major influences in you the Beatles the Hendrix major influences for a lot of people as your journey in rock and roll continued you know what paths did it go down like you know what streets did it go down it, you know was it a rock you know was it the path of Hendrix was it the path of of you know other forms other genres what was it like for you um Again, because it was it was it was very scattershot. I'm I'm, I'm quite fortunate. Um, I I grew up. Uh, there was always always music on in the house. My mom, she uh, she like I said, the house was always there was always music on in the house. Whether it was you know the older Sims playing their records and my brother with his Doors and the girls with their Beatles. And um, but mom was you know <laughs> when I was you know in my early teens that deal where you know. Where, you know, when you know, when you're a teen and you have to sleep 27 hours a day, mom um, stick would go down the hall, open up my bedroom door, and then walk back down the hall and either flip on her country music or Frank Sinatra or her swing. She loved Glenn Miller, so I cut my teeth on that stuff too. As far as um, getting back, to, like, so it was so there was always music in the house. Um, so the benefit to that was it broadens your horizons, it broadens your tastes. Um, my own journey, if we want to narrow it down to that, that's sort of the, where it started. But after sort of the whole thing, Hendrix was like, I had to explore this, this business of guitar. And, and, um, so obviously, you know, in, in my, in, you know, uh, now it's sort of 74 and 10, um, and all of a sudden there's Kiss is around. And, you know, the, the older brothers brought the Led Zeppelin into the house. And uh, I mean, the first time hearing, and I've, I've thought about this too. The, the first time hearing the first Led Zeppelin record, you know, I, everybody's used to the Beatles and Stones, kind of got their head around that, and then that thing comes out, and it's whoa, <laughs> it's I, so heavy. Yeah, I read an interview last year with Steve Perry, and he was talking about moments in music that impacted him, and he talked about the first time he heard "Good Times, Bad Times." He mentions what you say. You know, people were used to the Beatles and the Stones, and all of a sudden you have this drummer, and you have this this like punch right in the gut, like it's doom doom. And no one ever played like that before. Like you know, he wanted to pull over and listen to it, and then Plant's vocals came in, and and he was just it was amazed by how different it was, but it still stayed true to the same influences the Beatles and the Stones had. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was that same kind of cataclysmic bomb going off kind of a thing. It was like, okay, what have we got here? And and then from that, you go, okay, well, who? Because you know, I'm the guitar player in the band. Um, I, I always backtrack, and then you go, you know, if you backtrack with Jimmy Page, all of a sudden you slam into the Yardbirds. Well, <laughs> that band now all of a sudden your 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 path divides. Now you got you got Jimmy Page, but then you go down the Jeff Beck trail, which the one I headed down. Clapton and and you know and through Clapton and 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 Jeff Beck, all of a sudden you dive into all these blues guys, and all of a sudden you're trundling backwards until you hit Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, okay, here's this is this is the Rosetta Stone, this dude, and uh, it, it's standing out from there, and and, and you start hearing where these guys are getting it from, and and that was that was sort of always my MO was, was, was working, you know, hearing somebody and then, okay, well, where did they get it from? Because it always, it comes from somewhere. So, and, and I guess to that extent, um, 
you know, hearing that, that, that first Zeppelin record and going, okay, it's just really heavy. That again, took me back to, like I say, took back to the Edwards and then I panned off into, I sort of swung off into Jeff Beck and I was, well, what's he doing? And those first two Jeff Beck group records are, they're kind of, they're proto metal. They really are. And, and they're, it's a little bit weird saying that a band with Rod Stewart in it <laughs> was metally, but at that point they were. And, and you sort of start building your own kind of, when you're, when you're really into it, you start building your own sort of musical family tree when you're sort of trying to develop your own, your own voice. And at that age, I mean, you're, you're you know, I think I was, what was I? I was uh, 14 when I wrote my, my first song or, or start. You're, you know, you're, you're you're obviously sounding like everybody that you're listening to because that's that's the way it works. What goes in, you know, gets rolled around and, and goes out. And you had zero, <laughs> so you're having to listen to them. Um, usual kind of um, to get back to the questions at hand. I know I tend to wander and I'm sorry about that. Um, to get back to the path, it, it really after the whole Hendrix thing and discovering that Zeppelin record and having that explosive moment. Um, you know, you're sort of between 10 and 14 and you're the, the thing at that point, the be all and end all was, uh, well, you know, for kids, my favorite that were in rock and roll was, was, was kiss. And I know you, you talked to them, talk about them quite a bit and they were a big deal. Destroyer was a big deal, that record. And, I, uh, I, and I think the artist, know, I think the artist that you mentioned, Rod Stewart is a perfect segue into our topic. You know, the topic that we're, that we're going to discuss is the evolution of the artist and how, as a fan, most of us don't like it when our favorite artists or bands evolve. We talk about Rod Stewart and the Jeff Beck band. Later on, Rod Stewart went to a band called Faces and then had a couple solo records in the early 70s. During that period of time, Rod Stewart was a rock star. He was huge. Yeah, absolutely. He was one of the faces of rock music. He's an incredible frontman. Rod Stewart, we all know, has evolved as an artist. Now he's considered sure, more. Yeah. Now he's considered more adult contemporary. And yeah. a lot of yeah. people go back to that early period of, or the late '60s and the early '70s of that you could say prime era of Rod Stewart, but there's always that moment that fans have when you look at a catalog of a band or an artist. First three records were great. Oh, and then after that, it was, it's all downhill. Oh, you know, I don't know what they were doing. And now, you know, they haven't released a good album since this album. You hear that a lot. And one of the most, one of the most common elements of that argument is the fact that as a fan, a lot of fans do not like it when their favorite bands or musicians try to go into a different direction, evolve as songwriters, want to do something different. Not everyone is built like ACDC, where they can release the same record over and over again and be happy with that. Okay? Yeah. Um, you know, I had a, a, a conversation last night on Twitter, a brief one about Metallica. How... After and justice for all, everything else after that was shit. Well, if I was going to—that's one of the guys when I was doing my re, when I was sort of getting my my head together for this. Um, Metallica was one of the bands I was thinking about, and and I, I was it Injustice for All or was it was it the Black Album? Because I thought the Black Album was where a lot of people went. Uh, they were pissed off at Bob Rock, and that was the Black Album, and uh, yeah, and I think they, they like when. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. An artist needs to keep evolving. We as people are always evolving, right? I mean, we're not the same people we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. We're evolving as human beings. We have different interests that we had when we were younger. We don't like things that we liked when we were younger that now we don't particularly care for. So we're always evolving. We're always changing. And Oh, yeah. If an artist is not allowed to evolve, and not allowed to change or, or not allowed to go into a different direction, that artist will not fulfill their creative juices. I just had George Lynch on in an interview last week, 
and we talked about the many projects that he does and his need for change and chasing that evolution of the artist. With certain bands that he's been in, he's very limited to what he can do because of how the fans want his music. So these projects that he does allows him to go into different directions. But the fan is very conservative in that they like what they like. They like the box that that band is in, and they want to keep them in that box. They don't want them to overflow. They don't want them to go out in a different direction. You know, we can mention bands like Metallica, Van Halen, the Beatles, uh, the Stones. I mean, every band has had some sort of evolution. Maybe there's only a few that really haven't. The two that come to mind are ACDC and Motorhead. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't get how, you know. Let, let, let's use Van Halen as an example, right? We go from the first five albums, Van Halen one, two, Women and Children first, Fair Warning, Diver Down, into 1984, which had the keyboard, Eddie Van Halen playing the keyboards on it, and there were hints of him going in that direction. There was a, you know, um, and the Cradle of Rock has keyboards on it. Uh, there's a song or two on Diver Down that has keyboards on it. So he was slowly migrating to that. And then the song Jump comes out, and everyone's like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And people pan that record, or people say it's not as good as the previous five. The album is a great album. You, you it's all, sold a gazillion copies. It's, it's sold <laughs> a gazillion copies. And, and yeah, I mean, measuring greatness by how many albums you know is sold is kind of a tricky thing, you know, because... Sometimes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes. 100%. Yeah, yeah sometimes, just because it's sold a lot of records doesn't mean it's a good one. Right. I mean, I mean, if we use that gauge, I mean, we would say Britney Spears and you know the artists like that are 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 great as well. And in people have their own opinions, but as a rock fan, you're not going to say that. But right, you are entitled to not like something. I I want to say off the bat, right? You don't have to like what an artist is making. However, I believe that if you're not liking something because it doesn't sound like the band that you fell in love with or grew up listening to, that doesn't make it bad, okay? Um, oh, no. It's just the mirrors. There's nothing wrong with that either. But, like, yeah. but, um, I, I had, like, you know, you too. I was... I was um, I was a massive U2 fan, and then, um, you know, the Joshua Tree, which I really like the Joshua Tree. Actually, uh, Unforgettable Fire is probably my favorite one of their records. But um, then uh, after Joshua Tree, they did, what was it, Now Rabbit Hum, and then there was a, that was, a, that was um, a tribute, or not a tribute, but a, a charity record okay. called uh, Red Hot and Blue. And they put out, and it was, and like they really bring you know that you know that up, and it was a Cole Porter song that they did. And I remember hearing that record, going, "Oh my God, if this is the direction they're going in, this is not a good thing." <laughs> and and as much as I love Brian, you know, it was like, oh, "Okay, no, no, they they've over you know this thing." And and I really didn't like it. So I was listening to it again last night, and all these years later, and I'm and I'm like, ah, you know, what? I might have been wrong. I might have been wrong. It's not as bad as I remembered it. I think music is has a lot to do with timing. You know, like what? Yep, you know, absolutely. If, if you haven't evolved enough to appreciate something, and that's not a knock on anyone. I'm not, I mean, it sounds like it's a knock on people, but like I said in the beginning, you are constantly evolving. And a record that you listen to or put in the car or on your stereo that doesn't jive with you at that certain moment, a few years later five years later, 10 years later, you may hear that again. You'd be like, wow, this is actually pretty good. I actually like this. I can't believe I didn't like it when I first heard it. So there is some truth to that about how, as you change as a person, you actually may like something if you revisit it. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. If you're, if you're a passionate music fan, um, you inevitably, um, uh, develop as a listener. Uh, I could not, I could not stomach jazz. It just is not my thing. And, and I had, you know, another epiphany one morning when, you know, we were all coming to from the wreckage of the party the night before. And uh, a buddy of mine, who's a, a 
saxophone player. He, uh, you know, <laughs> just just horribly hungover. Like if there was if there was any mercy in the world, somebody would have come in and shot us all and put it off, put us out of our misery. And uh, Ben came into the room and and stepped over the bodies and and dropped. Um, God, what record was it? It was uh, ballads by Dexter Gordon on the platter. And and I remember coming to it thinking, what is this? This is so soothing and lovely, and this is exactly what I need to hear right now. And sort of that day, he took me on a bit of a jazz odyssey, and all of a sudden, it was like, I can listen. I actually have grown up enough as a, as a, a music listener that I can appreciate jazz. I still have a little bit of issue with some of the free jazz stuff, but it was neat. It was like, okay, there's another arrow in the quiver. There's, there's something else I can listen to. Uh, I... I, I I still have, like I said, I have, as I have, you know, I can, I put on John Coltrane's Love Supreme and I'm, I'm like, I know what's in here is good, but I cannot wrap my head around this yet. Much like I put on, um, um, I don't know, uh, you know, some early metallic or something, really thrashy stuff. And it's like, I, I know the talented guys being able to play that fast, but it, it just doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> I haven't evolved that much, I suppose. Well, Met- you know Metallica. You know, Kill 'Em All was their debut. Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. Are you know those two albums, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, are regarded as their two great records. Some people say Injustice for All. I have an issue with Injustice for All, and that sonically, it really doesn't grab me. I like a complete right. package when I listen to music. I like you know the 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 songs, the lyrics, the music, and I like the the mix and how it sounds. And there was right. no low end. The, the, the bass is non-existent on and Justice for All. And it really didn't grab me because of that. It didn't give me the punch that Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets gave me. So after Injustice for All, Metallica went with Bob Rock to produce the, the Black Album. And the Black Album has a lot more hooks. I wouldn't say it's radio-friendly because at that time... I would not consider those songs radio friendly. Those songs were put on radio right. because of the demand of the fan and how much it was selling. Let's not forget that. It wasn't written for oh, the radio, right? I mean, Metallica didn't write, yeah. you know, a song, well, let's just, you know, let's try to get a top 40 hit. That was never in their minds. What happened was that the success of the album was so overwhelming and so unexpected that radio had no choice but to play it. Well, yeah, and you had people phoning up that people used to call to the radio station and say, hey, play this, play this, play yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I sat in a meeting with a bunch of songwriters with a, uh, a music director for a, a, a local uh, radio station in Vancouver, and, and it was sort of a deep dive into the mind of, a, of an MD, and, and uh, it, was, um, it was really enlightening. We can have that conversation sometime. It's probably completely irrelevant now because they're all kind of centrally programmed but uh, now there's no, there's not really any local programming. But um, but back in the day, it was interesting to see how how your record landed on uh, landed on on that particular radio station and other stations around the uh, around town. And if you were a local, you weren't going to get on the radio station. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> That's what that was the the situation that thing. Yeah, but you know the MTV era also had a huge impact too. So what MTV was playing, radio stations were really following at that point in the eighties mm. and then in the into yeah, the nineties. Yeah. But, the, the, the but point, as you say again, because the listeners were phoning up and and saying, "Hey, right. I just saw this on MTV. Why aren't you playing it?" Absolutely, absolutely. So the, yeah. the point is, is that a lot of people regard Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets as phenomenal records, and they are. And then after Injustice for All, you, you know, a lot of fans will say, oh, they went, you know, the music went down the shitter after that. You know, you had the Black Album, you had Load, Reload, you had all the albums after that. Now, I want to say, now, not every album that Metallica has released has connected with me. You know, I could talk about the album with Lou Reed, which we, we kind of discussed a little bit on Twitter. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of St. Anger, which is another record. However... I will. I'm curious res- about your your take on Saint Anger. Is it because the production is like they 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 it's a shitty mastering job on that record because they just crank everything and it that's made it unlistenable? 
that and I just Forward. I just felt that it, it felt to me there was no chemistry in the band at that point. It just seemed very it, right. it, it seemed very fractured. Yeah, I sort of felt like that was a a bit of a desperate reach back into their past, and, and uh, right, you know, they 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 heard so much, so many of, of their fans longing for those that earlier records, the more thrashy stuff, the speedier stuff, that the less melodic stuff. That they decided, look, on this record, we're going to go back and we're going to do what we did before, and that never works. I don't, I don't know. I can't think of a single band that went, okay, we're going to make a record like we did in the old days. That's actually worked. <laughs> And, and so I don't think you can do that. In the point, plus the shitty production, right? And the point that George Lynch makes is, I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago, so I can't make that record again. And that's to your point. If you try to go back and recapture that magic, it's not there. Yeah, it's gone. That that's gone. That that magic has moved on to what you are as a person now. So with Saint Anger and the yeah. Lou Reed record, I didn't like those records. It didn't connect with me. Not to say that I don't respect what they tried to do with the Lou Reed record. They tried to get outside their box, outside their bubble, and do something different. I appreciate that very much because they're trying to stretch themselves. They're trying to challenge themselves. Now the listener didn't react well enough to it or didn't have a good response. That's fine, but at least they're trying. My point is, though, about those records that I talked about is that when people make that you know that 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 point about everything after this record is crap. It usually isn't. Right. You you you. I I think what for most listeners and for most fans, they come they become in love with the sound that first brought them to the band. They come enamored with them, and then as the band changes, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what what are you doing? Why why are you doing this now? Like why are you changing? Like why are you making music like this? There's not like what I fell in love with. And that's hard for the fan to react to and to adjust and to adapt because the fan is expecting what they like. And the band is somewhat giving them what they like, but it's a different twist. It's, it's, it's their evolution. And the Black Album is a great album. It's just not what they were. It's different. Reload or Load and Reload are good albums. Not their strongest, but they're good albums. So when people come out with that strong statement as, oh, this album sucks. Oh, they, everything after this album has sucked. What you're really saying is, is that your taste in music has remained the same. And you have yet to catch up with the evolution of the band or artist that you're a fan of. I would suggest if you still have that opinion of those albums and of that band to go back and re-listen to it. See where, see where, see how it connects with you now, 10 years later, 15 years later, because it may surprise you. You may actually like the stuff that, that that's coming out of the speakers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's also this, when, when, you go back to those albums. There's also because the things outside of that that you connect to that. Maybe you know the the, the party that you know good memories from the party where you first heard that record, or or you know the girl you were dating at the time, or the fellow you were dating at the time when that record came out. I can't I can't listen to Say La Vie by Emerson Lake and Palmer without thinking of a certain girl I was, when I was 16 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those connections, and with when the new records come out. You've got all this other stuff, as you're saying, going on in your life. You're a different person. The people in the bands are now 40 years old. They're not the 20 year olds who had their whole lives to write their first record. You know, now they're on their fourth or fifth record, and they've only had six months to do it. And, and there's touring and all this other stuff, promo, and that they don't have a whole bunch of time to just sit down and focus and 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 write a record. It's not like where they go in, you know, because it's expensive to go into the studio for six months. Now you got to walk in and you got to walk in with the songs basically done. You know, the demo is basically done. Um, there's not, a, I mean, unless you're at a, a Metallica kind of level where you can, you know, you either have your own studio or you can afford to go in and write the studio. Nobody writes in the studio. And, and most people are now like when we, the, my last band, we recorded the record in, in the drummer's attic. It's a, it's a 
but it's an entirely different animal now that you're on when you're on your fourth record. Now you gotta you gotta bang that record out. Maybe not. You know, the dynamic within the band has changed. There's, you know, you're you're all married now, and you got kids. You got all that stuff going on. So you can't be writing songs the same as you did when you're 25, when you're 45. Uh, it's just not. So it's it's kind of I guess as a as a listener, it's kind of you kind of got to look at what's going on in your life and maybe you can make those, maybe you can take the bottles that that band has handed you, the new bottles that that, that band has handed you and maybe you can hang them on your tree. Um, uh, and like you say, maybe you got to reach back and, and, and take another listen to it. And like I did last night, a bunch of old stuff that I, I didn't like and go, ah, Hey, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I was wrong about this. Maybe maybe I'm the issue in this equation here. Maybe it wasn't the band. Maybe it was me. Um, and and of course, sometimes you can go back and go, no, you know what? I was right. That did suck. <laughs> well, I right? think that's a that's a key point that you're making. Is you know the common element is is the fan, is you, is me. Where you, and I've and I've done this too. I've made the same you know uh, the same mistake. I'm I'm we're talking about now where. Oh, I don't want to listen to that. I didn't like it, you know, when it came out. I think it's I thought it sucked and everything. And then I listened to it and I'm like, oh, this is actually really, really good. I mean let's take nineteen eighty four, for example. You said it sold a gazillion records. And people when they equate nineteen eighty four with Van Halen, they think of jump, they think of I'll wait, right? But there's some yeah. great, great tunes on there. I mean, there's Panama, which is a great song. There's Top Jimmy, there's Drop Dead Legs, there's House of Pain. There's so many great songs on there that because of that evolution of Eddie into the keyboard, people forget, people don't correlate with that. And of course, then there's the whole Sammy Dave argument, which is for another topic some other time. But it's just, I think people get stuck where, like you said, you know, they they are buying records for the first time. They connect with this band for the first time. And it's very hard for them to accept them moving forward as an artist whereas you know a lot of other you know think just think about just think about your your how you've evolved with food right when you're a kid you just <laughs> like bologna sandwiches pizza and pizza right and yep. that's all you want to eat and then as you get a little older you like hamburgers and chicken sandwiches you know and then as you start high school you start you know, dating girls, you start going out to dinner, you know, she likes something that maybe you don't like, so you're forced to try it. And, oh, wow, this is really good. I like I like this. This is great. I like sushi now. I like Thai food. I like, you know, Mexican food. So there's an evolution. Now, you know, you don't, you know, ever say, well, you know, food was only the best when I hit, when I like bologna sandwiches and pizza. Maybe people do. I don't know. But, now, as you're older and you're an adult and you have a family and you have kids and, and whatever the case is in your life, you have options now on a Friday, Saturday night when you want to go eat. It's not just pizza. It's not just burgers. It's not just hot dogs. Um, that would be pretty boring if it still was the case. It's the same way with music, right? So, you know, what era of Van Halen do you want to listen to? What era of the Stones? Think about the evolution of the Stones prior to Mick Taylor joining the band. Think of the evolution of Rush from 2112 through Signals, through Grace Under Pressure, through Roll the Bones, through Clockwork Angels. Sure, and another band that, that had their fans were keyboards. <clears throat> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait, what? But I think they got away with it a little bit because Prog fans are kind of used to, yes. you know, yes. well, hang on, Rick Wakeman. We got, we, you know, there's, there's, we're okay with the keyboards. It's okay. And he is just playing a little bit and then jumping back on the bass. And, uh, boy, there was a band to see live. Oh. Yeah, they were great. Um, I honestly was not a huge Rush fan. My wife is a massive Rush fan. And, uh, she, um, the, when they played here on, I think it was the Clockwork Tour, um, she was working that show. And, um, the, uh, the promoter caught wind of that, that she was a fan. And, um, and, and, I get this phone call. Hey, you're going to rush tonight. Okay. I'm game. Um, I, you know, I like a bunch of their songs and, uh, yeah, he parked us beside the stage and I just sat and I could not believe how good they are. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's, and losing Neil Peart is just, 
I mean, it's 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 been it's been real rough up on this side of the border the last couple of weeks with all that's going on out there. But but uh, that was uh, that was a right kick in with Neil Peart. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. But oh no, I brought the whole thing down. Way to go, Doug. <laughs> no, but but you know, getting back to Rush, I mean, the fans of Rush came around to the keyboard area and were more accepting. And usually, like you said, prog prog fans are more accepting of change because let's face it, the, most prog songs evolve during, you know, uh, in, in one song from the beginning to the end. So they are used to the evolution of a song. They're used to an evolution of the artist. So they're more accepting with that, but that's a prime example of a fan base that went with them on their journey. There are some acts, there's some bands that the fans are, are hard pressed to follow them on a journey of evolution and yeah yeah. i I don't understand it and it's the same thing too as with the classic rock band you hear the same new music sucks new rock music sucks and that is the that's the the mindset you know i don't like anything past this album of this band i don't want to hear anything new from the genre that i love and in a large part that is the essence of why rock and roll has become irrelevant. We can always talk about the younger generation not connecting with rock yet. I say yet because I think it's coming. But for the fans that bought those Stones records and Zeppelin records and Metallica records and Van Halen, there is a new generation of music that is coming out that the refusal to listen to goes along with that refusal to see their favorite band or artist evolve as they release album after album. Um, I think, you know, the, the one, the one guy that maybe got away with the one guy who's, whose fan base was waiting to see what he was going to do next is Bowie. I agree. He's probably the only guy that, that pulled off where, where the fan base was actually expecting him to change. It was like, okay, he's, he's done those three Berlin records. What are we going to do now? And and he like when he did the only place where he had a bit of a lull, and it was was after after um, Let's Dance. He wanted to make a big big selling record, but he wasn't expecting it to go bonkers like it did. And then it was all of a sudden like, well, but I don't want to repeat that. I want to do it again. But of course, then you got your you know your A and R guy and and all them. But oh, hey, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want another one of those. We just made Buffalo Box Office on this. We want another one, and it's like. That's not how he operates. It was the same as when, when Geffen signed Neil Young. David Geffen was expecting him to hand in, you know, four four more copies to come to time, and he hands in trans, which is, wait, what? And you know, those, and they got into a big legal hassle because he was not, and Neil Young was not, in David Geffen's opinion, handing in Neil Young records. He was handing it, but it was like, well, then you didn't do your homework, dude. You don't know who Neil Young is. Neil Young makes Neil Young records, and what that is is entirely up to Neil Young's mood. <laughs> like some somebody, you know, dropped the ball on that, and so kind of him and I guess I guess you could say that Neil's always done what Neil wants to do as well. I guess maybe him and Bowie are the two that have, you know, in terms of their fans, anyways. Although yeah, maybe Trans was a bit of a a reach, but um, you know, the Shocking Pinks and all that stuff was was there was those were really great records, but. Like you say, you, you don't. There's not a lot of, not a lot of guys that pulled that off. A lot of, like, for me, um, prime example of my own on my own journey here is, like I said, I was saying earlier, I was a big Kiss fan, and then that movie came out. <laughs> oh, and it was, and I remember because I was so stoked. I'm 14. The Kiss movie's coming out. Got the Kiss records out. Let's know them all. Loaded up, sat down in front of the TV, and I'm like, the hell is this? What's happening right now? And by the end of that movie, I was giving my records away. I was like, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, that was that was a really mad, and then I know the guys in the band hate that movie, too. And, um, uh, you know, because it was just, and I, I was, I had no idea. I was just sort of like, because I was, you know, thinking, well, maybe I did this wrong. I had no idea until a couple of nights ago that that thing was produced by Hanna Barbera. So it's no wonder it looks like an episode of of Scooby Doo, right? The same guys that made Scooby Doo. 
and and uh, it, oh, and it was like I'm I'm done with you guys, and and I and I have not been able to go back. There's a couple of songs in there, plus I have Gene Simmons issues, but it just like nope, that was a drop dead point for me. It was like you people are dead to me. At, by the end of that movie, <laughs> 14 year old Doug was like, nope, done. But it was kind of a fortuitous thing because. At the same time, I and mean, if you look at what, I mean, that came out in 78, you look at what, what the music that came out in 78, you look at the list of albums that came out, it was a good time to jettison some of the old because holy crap, did some great records come out that year. Um, the first Devo record, I got turned on to Lou Reed right around that time by my, my best friend's older brother walked in with Rock and Roll Animal and it was like, wait, what, huh? What are you got here? You can write songs like that? I want to listen to that now. And again, from their backtrack to the Velvet Underground and all that stuff, um, and then it was like, oh, New York Dolls along the way, and, and all that kind of stuff. And punk started to break, and and I hadn't quite screwed up the courage to to listen to uh, Sex Pistols because my sisters were freaking out about punk rock and how everybody's throwing up on everybody, and it's a terrible thing. And then you hear a Ramones record, and it's like, well, it's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, punk rock. Punk rock is still uh, rock and roll, you know. And, and absolutely, of, yeah. But you know, when you mentioned the Kiss album, you know, and we and we talk about evolution of the artist as 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 that band's history goes that was a period where merchandise became more important than the music um, absolutely 100%. You, you know like 79 through 81 it was really about a family act where you could bring your kids it was the circus it was barnum and bailey and it wasn't about the music i still think they have some good songs if you go back and listen to dynasty that album is a really good album. If you listen to Unmasked, it's not a bad album. It's it's very power popish, you know, in terms of the the songs and the, and the structure. But they're not bad records. They're just not the Kiss records that people were used to at the time. Now, the Elder, some people are very connected with that record. Some people claim greatness on it. I never got it. I never saw it. I think it's their weakest album in the catalog, you know? Um, yeah. But at least they took a chance to do something conceptual at the time. I just think it was a wrong move for them. But they were trying to find yeah. something to bring back their fan base. But I remember, you know, the yeah. Kiss phonograph and the Kiss Halloween masks and the Kiss figures and the Kiss whatever. Oh, the lunchbox yeah. and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, so that became more about what merchandise they can produce. And Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons have both said that. You know, that, yeah. but then but then they came back and then they released Creatures of the Night and Look It Up were very hard and heavy records. And I've often said that if Kiss <clears> kept <throat> the makeup on or had the makeup on during Creatures or Look It Up, they'd still be a huge band. But they lost a big portion of their audience, like yourself, <clears throat> after that movie, during the disco period, during the unmasked period, and they never came back. Those fans never yeah. came back. And if the, if some of them did, they reluctantly did so. So, you know, that's not every evolution of the artist is good. You know, we mentioned the Metallica Lude Reed record. <laughs> you mentioned Kiss. But respect the fact that they're trying to do something. I have learned to take every album and every, every release as its own. So when I listen, I don't listen to an album expecting to hear the previous album. I say, okay, what do we got? What, what's, no. what's, what's this artist got for me now? And I listen to it yeah. as a separate entity, not belonging to anything else. That's how I like to digest a record. And that's how I like to listen. Because, you know, when people get in arguments about this record or that record, I always view it as, well, when I listen to it, without considering anything previous or anything, I just listen to it as music. I connect with it differently. I, I don't, you know, every album has a different meaning to me, whether it's Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice, for, and Justice for All, and the Black Album. You know, every album to me is separate. Every album of Van, sure. by Van Halen because is what was going on in your life at that, in that, in that period, those, those connections are all tied into that record. Correct. You know? I mean, we mentioned the Mick Taylor era of the Stones. I regard that as the best yeah. Stones era, you know, those records that he was on. I love that era Agreed, of the yeah. Rolling Stones. But then when they came yeah. out of it, you know, with Ronnie Wood, and they got into more of what was popular at the time, more of a 
a disco-esque type of sound, you know, with emotional rescue yeah. and, 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 and uh, tattoo you. And, um, I think even some of the, some girls yeah. stuff on it had a little bit of those. Some girls. Yeah. You know, it, that, that I, 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 I is, is I think in large part those those records that was a lot of that was a lot of Nick was driving the bus at that point and 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 there because Keith was in no condition to to really drive the bus um, uh, you know he, he was that's when you know he was at the height of addictions at that point and, and uh, you notice that you know and the evidence to to me is that when you look at the solo records that they did Keith are tremendous records there you know and you can go oh okay so that's where keith is where the the, the balls of the stones are you know what he's doing is the real and and nick is very much he wants to do what's current he you know he's, he's very much about keeping up with the joneses kind of a thing and you can see that in, in particularly some girl um miss you that you know he, he, and he will argue that it's that it's not a disco song because Charlie's playing four on the floor, which, well, that's a disco beat, dude. <laughs> and, you know, when you see a, a video of, of Studio 54 and everything, you know, snorting mounds of coke, well, guess what the theme song is? It's Miss You. And, uh, you know, it's Nick and Maggie Trudeau dancing around in, in Studio 54. Um, so he he was kind of driving the band at that point, and 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 that that's what I think for that period. And I think yeah, I mean Ronnie, they still call him the new guy. Um, you know he certainly wasn't he wasn't he's a, he's a very different a very different player than than uh, Nick Taylor as you would expect. Um, Nick is more of a a blues guy. Ronnie is more of a tell him what you want him to play, and he just. Yeah, I mean, him and Keith do that wonderful guitar weed thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think that Nick Taylor era, those were, those were the records. And I think Nick and Keith were at their, their height of their power in terms of being songwriters. Um, and, you know, that, I think uh, Andrew Logan did them a really big favor by locking them in that kitchen and saying, no, don't come out until you've written something. Um, I kind of think he's the guy responsible for making them songwriters and, you know, that little act. Um, but yeah, they, they really hit their stride at that period. And then unfortunately with, with, uh, Keith's addiction issues, um, you know, they, they did definitely take a bit of a slump there. Um, which really didn't let up until after, was it, he had sort of got his shit together in time for uh, dirty work, which again, is not a bad record, but, and he came back, I'm healthy, you know, had another transfusion. And he had, had designs on touring that record. Nick was like, no, I'm off to do a, a solo record. And that's when things really went for a fit between the two of them. Um, again, I can talk about the Stones for hours. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know. You know, getting, you know, the, the, the evolution, though, when you think of, you know, the Stones, when you think of the Beatles from I Want to Hold Your Hand or I Saw Her Standing There to Abbey Road, okay? Oh. It's a completely yeah. different band. And if artists like the Beatles and the Stones and Hendrix and Clapton and Beck and Zeppelin and Sabbath did not evolve, music would never have evolved, right? You'd have no. You, you would you would have boring. It would be boring after a while. No one would be able to put their own spin on something because everyone takes different influences from certain periods, and whether it's yeah. Zeppelin one or whether it's Presence, whether it's let it bleed or, you know, some girls or whether it's, uh, you know, rubber soul to Abbey road. There is that evolution that brings the person in that pushes music, that pushes rock music forward. Evolution does that. The fans acceptance. You can listen to exile on main street. You can listen to exile on main street and you can hear that band evolving on that record. It's, it's, because they reached into the paint box and they put every color they had onto that record, and that's sort of, and it and it at first it's like oh okay <laughs> there's a whole lot going on here and it doesn't seem very cohesive but after a couple of listens you're like oh now I get it okay they're instead of just bringing out the hammer and the chisel they're bringing out the whole toolbox and and then you listen to the you know because you listen to the albums before right before that they're they're pretty they're good. And then they hit that thing, and it's like, yep, 
okay, we're going to evolve before your eyes. And, and then you can say all that McTaylor stuff was after that. And it's like, cool. <laughs> I, I find know, that, that's, that's I find that exciting. I find that, you know, enthusiastic. I get that enthusiasm when I hear a band doing that. Van Halen, 1984, when Eddie, who is a monster guitar <clears throat> player at the time, probably outside <clears throat> of Hendrix and Page, <clears throat> the most influential guitar player, you know, ever. He changed the way sound, tone, how things are played, ever. Goes from being this monster guitar player at the peak of the <clears throat> U.S. Festival in 1983, over 100,000 people, and then the next album... Is the intro is a keyboard instrumental into jump. I mean, that's balls. Yeah. That is balls to do that. I mean, that is crazy. That's awesome. And it's a great yeah. fucking record, too. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I that's no, what I gets a charge in me. Mm. Yeah, I think it's 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 almost Almost dangerous to to. I mean, you know what? If you don't if you don't want your bands to evolve, be an ACDC fan. Um, they're never going to disappoint you. They're super fun records. The concerts are awesome. You're going to have a great time, and they're not going to challenge you. And and that's okay. You know that that's okay. If you if you want, you know. But it but if you really want to enjoy the ride, you kind of you know. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty of whether it's watching that horrible kiss movie and going, okay, I'm done. Um, you know, or, or, you know, after, after Josh, like three years two going, uh, I don't know about this. Um, I, I, we're all guilty of it. We've all, we've all had those steps, but, and again, that, that, that's okay. But I also have to be okay with somebody coming up to you and saying, well, I, I really loved a tongue baby, but I, I can't listen to war. And and you have to not you have to sort of go, but 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 <laughs> Sunday Bloody Sunday, the hell is wrong with you? Um, that's okay. That's the record that connected with them, and and that's and that goes back to what I was saying before. Um, there's only two kinds of music, good and bad, and what those are is entirely up to the listener. Right. And there's a reason that that Ot Kong Baby or 1984 mm-hmm. registered with with that that particular fan and fifty one fifty left him cold. Cause honestly hearing Eddie Van Halen for me with Van Halen Eddie is Eddie. The consistent through all those records is Alex Van Halen. You listen to his drums, the drum sound is the drum sound. It's kind of like if you listen to ELO and you hear that drum sound, it doesn't matter who Jeff Lynn is producing. If it's Jim Keltner, if it's Ringo on those uh, new Beatles tunes that they did around the anthology, you're going to know that Jeff Lynne produced that record because the drums are going to sound like Jeff Lynne produced that record. <laughs> you know, if if you hear a song and it's like, wow, this sounds like a meatloaf song, I guarantee you when you go to the label, it's going to say Jim Steinman underneath it because they have these, these signatures. And the signature for me is Van Halen. It's Alex Van Halen's drums. His drums sound it, it's it's phenomenal. He's he's a great drummer. He's he's not Flash. He's not Bonham. He's certainly not Neil Peart. But he he keeps solid time, and he has a like a you know like that's the thing about guitar players. We have our own tone. He's got his own sound, and that's in you know like when you hear Neil Peart play, you know it's Neil Peart. When you hear Bonham, you know it's Bonham. You're Alex Van Halen, you know it's Alex, and you know it's Alex without hearing Eddie. And that's what that's what I think makes him a special drummer too, and wildly underappreciated. Agreed. I just went off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. I, uh, I I absolutely agree. Um, you know, Van Halen. It, that was a very unique time for them, going from changing their sound in 1984 <clears throat> to then changing singers with 5150, having a number one record with 5150. <clears throat> um, was I mean the only reason why? Were you surprised to- by that? I was, but wasn't. I only I, I, I knew that nineteen eighty four wasn't a number one record because of Michael Jackson's thriller. So I think I was more surprised by that not being number one in terms of nineteen eighty four than fifty one fifty becoming number one. Because there were a lot of there was a lot of stuff coming out in the eighties. In the eighties music, whether it was pop or rock, was just it was it was very different. You know, there was it was just uh, 
the way that landscape was in the 80s. And in terms of rock, you know, the early 80s rock period was very raw. The, the mid-80s period was very glam-driven and power ballad-driven into the late 90s where a lot of stuff became cookie-cutter. So when, when Van Halen was around, Van Halen was their own thing. Van Halen did not follow a trend. Van Halen did not look like any other band that was out. Van Halen just came out and they did what, what, what how they, they didn't have any hairspray in their hair. Their hair wasn't teased up. They didn't have, you know, the, the spandex or, or, or whatever. Well, maybe David Lee Roth did, but, but I mean, the assless chaps, the leather assless chaps thing still, uh, is, is embedded in my head. Um, but, but that's a scar. Yeah. But they, they were their own thing. They were, not any they, they were not part of any trend they were there i mean you you i remember the van halen t-shirts and the painters caps and the pop culture references and several different movies with van halen no other rock band during that era had that and i think spicoli had him at his party man spicoli had him <laughs> as his party i think uh back to the future and you're gonna be of a certain vintage to get that reference yeah right the, back, back back to the future with with uh Marty McFly and the Spaceman suit with the Walkman and the guitar. That's Eddie Van Halen. Uh, him playing yeah. on on uh, Beat It with uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Van Halen was the shit back in the 80s. And what You could talk about Def Leppard. You could oh, talk yeah. about Bon Jovi. You could talk about um, Motley Crue. All those bands were popular, but Van Halen was its own thing. And... You know, everyone wants to talk about Maiden and Priest back then and Ozzy. All those bands were popular. But I think those bands, especially Maiden, is more popular now than they were in the 80s. I think yeah, absolutely. Metallica, more popular now than they were in the 80s. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, that like, bands like, um, I mean, when I was in high school, Stick were, were monstrous. That they were, you know, they were, you know, selling those stadiums and stuff, and and uh, it's interesting now they're they're on the on the the, the casino tour, um, and I it, back in the day I wasn't uh, a massive sticks fan, but uh, my 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 wife is, and they were playing a local casino, so we uh, she dragged me in, and I'm like, God, if these guys rocked this hard back in the day, I probably would have bought their records back then. <laughs> Um, but I think that's because, you know, with Tommy, so I was kind of calling the shots rather than Dennis Young at this point. But There's no more think, songs about robots. Um, no, no, God. Oh, God, that record. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was their, that was their um, Phantom in the Park moment, I think. Although I know there's, there's a bunch of people that love that record. In fact, I was just reading this morning, somebody talking about that record. And, and I, uh, really? <laughs> no. Um, but uh, you know that, that's you know there's that whole I guess even even um well they were uh, Soundgarden that sort of jumped onto that they were, they played the same room um uh, and and those there's they they've found this you know the bands like that have found this lucrative kind of niche and it's the same with this this Motley Crue tour that's going on um it's really weird it's like kind of a back of the eighties kind of a thing with that with that tour and I'm and I'm sure it'll do buckle box up because the uh, the folks who you know the that the 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 Netflix movie there introduced um the Motley Crue to a, a younger younger crowd and the parents are gonna be like really proud that, you know, hey they're the kids are listening to our record here. And uh so yeah, maybe it'll be a family outing, you know. And hopefully dad doesn't embarrass the kids too much. The thing that, it's always dad that embarrasses the kids. To think, that, job. to think that Motley Crue is having a family event just is completely way over my head on that. I, I, Dude, I, I walked into the, the grocery store the other day and Heart Shaped Box was playing. Yeah, I, It's shopping music, man. <laughs> well, how, about, how about like when Ozzy was like the second coming of Satan in the 80s? And now he's a, oh god he's a pop culture icon now, which just it just baffles. Well, me. yeah, he's, he's he's a reality TV dad. Yeah. So I guess I the last yeah. oh no, I, I guess the last point as we wrap up here is 
to challenge the fan or the listener to go back and listen to some of those albums that you have pushed back on by your favorite artists, you know, whether it's Metallica, Van Halen, uh, yeah. you know, and, and re-listen to that yeah. and, 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 and just take it for what it is. Don't compare it to a previous album. Don't compare it to the album that you fell in love with the band. Just listen to it for what it is. And maybe yeah. as, as music is a lot about timing, you'll enjoy it. You'll, you'll connect with it differently. Um, give it a shot. Cause I, I've, I've had that happen. And I, and the fact that it's almost like a new record is really cool because here's an album that's been sitting on your shelf for 20 some years, 15 years, whatever it is. And then you pop it back in your stereo and you listen to it. You're like, wow, this is really good. I really like this. This is kind of what I'm into now. And it's like a new experience. And that is a cool thing. That is, that is a gift that, that of, of music that is unlike anything else. Music can keep giving you the feeling of you know, new and the feeling of excitement over and over again on stuff that was released 20, 30, 40 years ago. Sure, and it will, and, and, and listen to the record. Don't put it on and head out to the garage. Like, mm-hmm. Listen to the record. And, and you'll sort of discover that memories start creeping back into the time that that record came out and, and you'll start laughing about how you reacted it, reacted to it. Or maybe you'll go, no, you know what? I was right back then too. <laughs> it's still not a very good record. It still doesn't, I still can't connect with it. Um, but like you say, you're exactly right. Um, uh, maybe you sit down and go, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I remember when so-and-so put this on at a party and such and such happened and, and, all, and it'll take you back to that time, and maybe it takes you back to a point, a positive time. Maybe it, you know, brings back some folks who aren't here anymore, and you can have a few laughs thinking about them. And all of a sudden, and inevitably, it ends up being a positive experience. I love having this conversation. Thanks again, Doug, for coming on. I do appreciate you doing this. It was great. There's yeah, so many other. There's so many other topics that, as you're talking, I'm thinking about. I'm like, wow, that would be a great conversation to have. So <laughs> we'll have to do this again. Hey, well, I'm tired. I got all nothing but time, man. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, once again, everybody, that's Doug Smith, another friend from up north in Canada. I think he's a Canuck fan, which there are certain things about certain people that you just you just have to accept. But that, yeah. <laughs> he's a we he's, slayed the dragon. That's all we have to do. Alex Burroughs is up in the rafters now. Don't even start you with know, Alex Burroughs and slaying the I'm, dragon because you, you guys choked I'm, against the Bruins, man. Oh, it, don't get me started on that. that I've, I've actually talked to people about that whole that whole playoff, and, and to a person, they, they agree with me that the Bruins were allowed to do whatever they wanted that whole way through because Batman promised Jimmy uh, Jacobs a, a cup. And they it was like, put your whistles away. Because they, they were, I mean, I'm a, I grew up with the Broad Street Bullies and all that stuff where you know, you were you were getting into a fight, walking into the rink to see the game. Never mind what's happening on the ice. Um, and that was like nothing I ever I've ever seen. And you know what? The other day when Marshawn whiffed on that puck, my heart sang. <laughs> Just keep your fingers away <laughs> from Alex Burrows at all times. <laughs> fair, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that that that's fair, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, well, now we'll have to have a hockey talk. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, hey, again, thank you very much. This is uh, Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. We'll talk again soon, everybody. Have a good day. achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? 
would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.